Welcome to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Good morning. Primarily fairy tales, fantasy, and kind of jazz. 
um, for multiple age groups, middle grade, young adult, and adult, and um, multiple forms, flash fiction, short stories, poetry, novels. Um, I'm a daughter, girlfriend, friend. I love to travel and explore the world, whether it's on a day trip or to a foreign country. Uh, I go out dancing multiple times a week for exercise and socialization. Um, I go to church. I occasionally do things like taking archery lessons and volunteering and social activism. I spend most of my day um, working home alone, so I like to have a pretty busy social life. We should talk about this activism later. That's the other thing I forgot to mention. All right. Yes. Yeah, so the biggest complaint I hear is I don't have the time, and I'm guilty of myself of this occasionally. Uh, but we do have the time, or at least the ability to set aside some time to prioritize our work, even if it's only a half hour a day. Some creatives get up early, some stay up late, some work on their lunch hour or while they commute or on the weekends. How and when do you make the time to work? Go whatever order you would like. Do you want to keep going cycles or do you want to switch? Um, Jenny, I have no strong feelings, but um, well now it's become a lot simpler in a lot of ways because now I start working after I drop my daughter off at school and I stop working when it's time to pick her up. Even if I'm convinced I'm just getting a good head of steam and you know, in another half hour, I would start being brilliant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now it's kind of, I know where that time is. Before that, I would try to, you know, just start my day with writing. You know, my husband would get up, he would go to his day job, and so I'd be up and I would, you know, find a coffee shop and slowly work my way into working on my story. And then I don't get to quite do that anymore. But I don't think there was any trick, sorry to say, I don't think there was any trick for either time, it was mostly, you know, eventually there was a point where I had to just sit down and brute force getting things done. When I was younger, when I was in college, just out of college, I did have to not so much convince myself, but I had to set boundaries. You know, I was in the town, the college town I'd gone to school in. You know, my friends all lived nearby, and they just wanted to hang out, just like we did in the dorms. And, I had to learn how to ignore the phone, ignore knocks on the door. There was one memorable point where a friend who was determined not to understand that I was working in the evenings after my then day job, you know, she called several times. It was back when people were still using answering machines, so I could hear her going, pick up the phone, I know you're there. And then I heard this knock on the door and she knew I was there and I knew she knew I was there and I just kept writing. I had to train my friends at that point into the fact that this time was being set aside. Uh, so for how to make the time to um, to write, to draw, to you know do whatever, focus on your art, I'm a huge believer in harnessing the power of habit. Um, if you do your creative work under a certain set of circumstances every day or almost every day or near to it as you can, then when that set of circumstances or time of day rolls around, you will kind of autopilot into it which will get you over the hump of I don't want to or something else cool is going on. It will just become, this is a thing I do. Like if you always brush your teeth before bed, if you always, uh, you know, if you always sit down at a certain time of day to work, then that will just be part of your routine of doing it. <coughs> Not frictionless, but as close to that as you can get. Um, that being said, I think it's important to balance harnessing the power of habit with adjustment and long-term flexibility, different priorities and different drains on your time will come up during life. Maybe something that works very well for you during one period will not work when your first child is born, for example, or it will not work well when you suddenly decide to take like a larger class load than you have at the past in school and you need to find like a different day to do that. Um, so if there, if there should be a day or a time where you sit down to do your creative work um, and you can't because a new thing has come up and taken that time commitment away from you. Uh, establish a new routine as soon as you can. I think that helps a lot. I used to do my writing, um, I would set aside an hour every day right after I was done with my day job, but now that time has been superseded by physical therapy exercises that I do um, because right now that's, that's also something I need to prioritize. So my routine for when I write has turned into after dinner, which took some getting used to, but now that it's more of a habit again, um, it's something that's a little bit easier for me to stick with. I think about the authors I admire and then remind myself that I have the same 24 hours in a day that they do. Um, I also gave up TV in 2012, um, some years ago, because I found that I didn't, <laughs> I just lost, thank you. You too? Yeah, that, 
I don't do any TV. It's not worth your time, advertisements, none of that. It's, yeah. it's boring. So I, I weigh the, the cost of those hours spent. So I don't look at it online. I don't look at it through the actual TV. Um, and I'm, I'm very mindful about um, consuming movies and social media and Netflix and YouTube and other things that are in that TV vein. And I find that um, keeping that sacred time is enough for me. Um, yeah, all right, next question. Sometimes the things that hinder us isn't time, but our own minds. D doubt, depression, grief, anxiety, imposter syndrome, etc., are very real obstacles. Have you faced or faced any of these, and how did you combat them? So I'm glad I'm first here because Jenny is going to have a much more valuable answer than I will. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking you go first. I can uh -oh. form an answer. <laughs> okay. Um, so my my answer here is that uh, because what I write is short fiction, and what I write is largely determined um, by my own time and my own schedule. I've, I've come as far as I have because I have determined these deadlines for myself. I have determined when I'm gonna write these stories and submit them and send them out, uh, with the exception of having all the launch activities around my first book. Um, but because my momentum is self-generated, I can stop if I need to. I can stop if uh, I, suddenly decide that I'm not worth it and everything's terrible, and then I feel like being sad for four days. There aren't any, there aren't any real consequences other than my own self-respect, which is a real consequence, <laughs> but uh, not, not perhaps what we're talking about here. Um, so I guess there is an answer in that, which is uh, a way to deal with depression or imposter syndrome or feelings of anxiety or lack of self-confidence or something is to integrate your creative work into your life in such a way that you know your own limits and you know your own obstacles. If you, if you know that you struggle with getting things done, if you know that you have trouble managing your ADHD or something like that, don't commit to a massive project and say, oh yeah, it'll be totally fine. Like, you're, you're setting yourself up, you're setting yourself up there for a difficult time, it's one thing to challenge yourself, but it's another thing to go like, oh yeah, my depression will magically go away once like this milestone is reached. Um, so I, I have some depression and anxiety, and I manage it better these days than I have in the past, but um, I think committing to a book launch, if I hadn't been in a space where I was managing that, would be a terrible, terrible idea. Um, so, you know, know yourself, be gentle with yourself, understand that sometimes <laughs> Your healthcare comes first, and your mental state comes first, and you know you can't you can't squeeze productivity out of yourself um, infinitely. I should add. And I have had also a couple of go arounds with you know fairly deep depression, and the most important thing looking back is you know when you realize that's going on, which can be tricky in itself. You know, just go ahead and get professional help. You know, every time I did. I wondered why I had waited so long and let myself be unhappy for as long as I did. Even though the funny thing about being depressed is you don't have the energy to take the steps to get beyond being depressed. Another long-term thing I've had to do for kind of balancing mental health and writing is at one point I did some sort of deep soul searching and had to tell myself, you know, how worthy I am as a human being has nothing to do with whether this story sells. You know, I don't have to justify my existence by selling a novel. I want to sell a novel. I want to sell these short stories, but you know, internalizing and really believing that whether or not I sell what I'm writing that has nothing to do with my self-worth has been a huge thing for being able to balance writing in the rest of my life. Um, doubt and fear are things I struggle with pretty consistently, no matter how many things I write or how many publication credits I earn. And speaking to other writers, I've come to understand that this is pretty normal. Um, Jane Nolan, who's written more than 350 books, posted on Twitter that she still gets rejections. And that helps somewhat. Not the whole misery loves company, but more the idea <laughs> that, that doubt and fear and rejection are normal. Um, they're, they're just part of, part of this industry. So to combat them, I remind myself these are all parts of the process. And um, I tailor self pep talks. I have a document full of quotes um, for ideas that whether I'm facing fear or doubt or motivation or like giving up, I have sections of them and then I can self-pep talk myself whenever I need it. Um, another thing that's part, you wanna go? Oh, uh, you can finish your statement before I wanted to add something. 
I'm switching to a different thing. Oh, okay, great. Um, I also uh, wanted to add a couple suggestions for sort of more garden variety fear bouts that don't have like, quite as much to do with, with mental illness, because I think we kind of like shunted into that topic. Mm -hmm. um, I find that something that helps me deal with doubt and fear and rejection is like, this sounds very silly, but to stand in front of a mirror and tell myself how great I am and how stupid everybody else is. And <laughs> it's, it's deeply childish, and the childishness of it sort of knocks me out of my own negative thinking. Um, because like it's stupid that you have to stand here and stand in front of a mirror and tell you tell yourself that like and it helps me laugh at myself and like laugh at the whole situation and sort of let it go. Um, another thing that can help a lot is that if your if your own doubts or whatever are in your way, you can you can switch to another project for a while. Um, there's there's no law against that, and sometimes it's not really it's not really yourself that you're doubting. You're just stuck on whatever it is you're creating. I started telling myself that if I were really, when I was in imposter syndrome places, if I was really as awful as I thought, you know, I'd watched friends go through that, and I knew they were better than they thought they were, and they weren't horrible. And if I were as horrible as I thought in down moments, how could I be the only person seeing myself truly? You know, all my friends were clearly wrong when they said they were, you know, doubting and maybe shouldn't do this. But if I were really awful, then I wouldn't be able to see myself that clearly. So. It must all be nonsense. I don't know if I explained that in a way that makes sense, but. I also want to add that when all else fails and you think that you really are a very terrible creator, it helps to examine everything else that's in your field and look at all of the other terrible works of art that are in your field. Uh, like if I go into a bookstore and I see a lot of books I've read that I haven't liked and I've said, well, somebody bought this and published it and somebody is buying them. And if what I write is terrible, maybe idiots will buy my work too. <laughs> multiple gatekeepers. If you get traditionally published, it had to pass beta readers, your agent, an editor, the acquisitions team, the, all of the organization of that, that exists around a publishing company. And everyone was like, yes, we want this book. And then you're like, what the heck were they thinking? So yeah, they would all have to Every be book has an inferior for that to have to get past all those people. Mm -hmm. They would all have to be inferior in addition to you. Yeah. Every, every story has an audience. Every piece of art has an audience. So all three of us are pursuing writing as a career, which means there's no such thing anymore as writing when we feel like it. We must have consistent output, whether we're constrained by contracts and publishing deadlines or our own goals. So I want to know, what are the standards you set for yourself? Are they daily or weekly or monthly? Are they measured in word count, scenes written, time spent in front of your computer, or something else? It's your turn. <laughs> I've gone around, I think I have to change, you know, what my metric is over time. I've done word count a lot, you know, especially when I had a full long day, you know, 2,000 words a day. I've done, you know, spend four hours in front of the screen. When I first started writing, my standard was when I was writing in the evenings after a day job, it was one sentence a day. And I hoped that I would do more, but it's not very scary to think, okay, I'm gonna sit down and write a sentence. And then once I did, usually I keep going. If I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But I think it just like what you use depends on where you are and the time. I use NaNoWriMo occasionally just because it fit with what I was working on and I let it work for me. I've never like forced a project into it. Like that. So yeah, I guess I don't have any one answer because it's changed so much for me over time. By the way, there's a NaNoWriMo panel later. I'm on it, KJ's on it. Yeah, 1.30 to 2.20. Uh, for me, the metric that I usually use is time, because it's, uh, there are so many different things, at least that go into, into writing. There's the actual writing of the story, but there's also revising. There's also falling down a Wikipedia hole while you try to like nail one specific research point. And I spent earlier earlier in the week, um, so I'm revising a novel right now, um, and I want to get the mechanics of the fictional night sky correct. So I'm like, okay, the certain plot point depends on when a constellation rises, and I I don't know too much about astronomy, so I said, okay, I'm going to research this. So I spent about an hour and a half trying to 
get like three basic questions answered. Um, and I didn't actually change anything in my manuscript, but I count that as creative work because that's how long it was taking to solve that problem. And if I set some kind of rule for myself based on word count or page count or something like that, um, I would, I would still be sitting there going, oh, I haven't written anything because how many hours is it gonna to take to resolve this astronomy question? Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't work for everybody, I suppose, but at least it helps me feel better about when I'm not writing anything, I'm still engaging in the creative process. I'm still researching, I'm still brainstorming, I'm still gathering background information. I'm still asking if any of my friends on Twitter know an astronomer that can help me. Um, and in fact, they do. And that's something that I have to do during my next writing session is write to this astronomer uh, who's going to like help me with my book. So nice. I think that that all counts. I agree with that. I measure my output by my time as well. I work 40 hours a week, so I treat this as my full-time day job. Um, and I do, like Monday's my miscellaneous day. I work on emails, write-offs, short stories, poetry. And then the other five days I work on my novel. Um, and since I work six days a week, I do about um, six and a half to seven and a half hours a day, which gives me the flexibility to then have socialization in my life then. Another activity. Any other apps? All right, next question. Lots of creatives have a method to help them transition into work mode even when they don't feel like it. Some meditate before they sit down at the desk. Some light a certain candle when they begin or use a special pen or turn on a playlist they've created just for that project. Some need to fulfill their morning routine of walking the dog and getting the kids to school before they feel comfortable enough to disappear into their mind. And of course, coffee and tea are common creative kickstarters. Do you have a ritual, routine, and or beverage of choice that helps you quickly enter into work mode? Um, sort of, I, I, have a, I have a pre writing ritual that's totally arbitrary, but uh, as I mentioned before, um, being a big believer in harnessing the power of habit, I think the important thing is to just do one tiny thing before you sit down and start to cue yourself into like, I'm ready now. Um, and basically, I take a can of soda and I open it and I toast the universe and I say thank you for the ability to create, to be, to be alive and to be able to do this, uh, to be lucky enough to exist in a country that is stable enough for me to like do my art on the side and not worry about people I love and all the rest of it. Um, and it's a, it's a tiny thing, it takes five seconds uh, and then I'm ready, unless we have run out of soda, so maybe there's a flaw in my plan here <laughs> and I should just go with like raising a cup of water or something. Just lovely. I, I might steal that from you. Too. I, did. I totally did. I like I that. I'm taking a moment to actually appreciate what you're getting to do. But my best, my best practice used to be, you know, start writing before you can do anything else because I'm more likely to like not get in my own way. That also doesn't work when you have a young child <laughs> because now you know. There've been a few, actually now you know she has to get dressed. We have to get to drive up to school. School is about 15 minutes away from home. But I also, you know, need to get physical activity in. So I guess, but it is, I do follow a consistent routine and that still works to some extent. Only now it's school drop off, you know, half hour walk, sit down and write. And I guess that works as, you know, that also works and have it, you know, goes a long way. I do use playlists sometimes. And that also, if I'm really not working, it's like, okay, put the music on and get to work. I drink coffee as I check Twitter for a half hour and wake up. I need to wake up. Half hour. I know. Well, <laughs> 40 minutes, I try not to push. I set a timer to be very okay. mindful about my social media consumption. Um, and then I eat breakfast and then I get to work. And I actually stole KJ's idea. Before we were friends, I read an interview with him about how he toasts the universe. And I was like, this is a great idea. So I do that now. I sit down to work and I. I do my own toast with my beverage, but it's usually coffee. Um, and then I get to work and I listen to instrumental music as I write. I don't like words, I find that distracting as I'm writing. And I don't stick with the same playlist. I like variety. But that's, those are my entrance points into work. Creative work is often thought of as a solitary endeavor, yet some people find it highly motivating to come up. Whether it's joining an online community, attending a local write-in, or emailing your accountability partner at the end of the week, bringing others into the process can help us achieve our goals. How do you do this? Jenny, you're first. One thing I do for social contact is I have kind of a small group of writers that when we can on Fridays, we just choose a coffee shop and get together and write together. 
and we're still working, maybe not quite as productively as when we're by ourselves, but we're also not talking the whole time. And it just gives you that little bit of human contact that you don't get during the week when you're writing. I will say one upside to having a child is all of a sudden, you know, I was worried about, oh, I'd have to meet all these parents who weren't writers and might not even like to read and, you know, maybe there'll be all these awful people who have nothing in common with me. And actually the opposite has happened. And actually meeting parents and having sort of parent friends, it's like you get socialization whether you want it or not. But that's actually been a good thing and not the thing I feared it would be. Uh, to, help, to help with the isolation of writing, I do like to occasionally meet some other people who write together. Um, uh, I have a group of friends that about once a month we meet together sometimes and write in libraries. Yeah, I totally left you guys up. <laughs> I assume you're waiting for me to talk about that part. Oh, of course, um, get it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that is a thing I do. Um, I have also made efforts to make friends with writers in the Tucson area, and even if we hang out socially and the only thing we wind up talking about is work, it still um, it still makes you feel less alone. Uh, there is also another friend of mine that runs Meetup in Mostly Books once a month, the second Saturdays of the month. Uh, it's like one to three, isn't it? Yes, it's yeah. second Saturday. I think it's the second yeah. Saturdays, yeah. It's, um, yeah, Mostly Books, second Saturday. Yeah, actually right. on some of the panels. Oh yeah, she can talk about that more. But um, but that is open to everybody, writers of all levels. There's a membership, you know, just show up, and that is come meet come meet other writers and like talk about the process. Um, for me, I do find uh, that knowing other writers and writing alongside them and just knowing that they're there is also very helpful. Um, if I can't do it in person, I also have a few uh, Slack groups, writers groups that I'm a part of. Um, where I will sign on and there will be a channel that will say, these are people who are writing, and I'll post, I'm writing, guys, and then, you know, I'll write, and even if nobody responds to me, it somehow feels like I'm less alone, um, and that can be helpful. And there is also, it's also a great way to harness, like, social pressure from other people. If you go into a space, whether that's real or virtual, where everybody else has their heads down and working, if before you were like, I'm really feeling like this, when you come in there, you go, oh, I better do it because that's what everybody else is. And then before you know it, uh, you're, you're sucked into your work and really moving along. I'm a member of a syphilis Slack group online, and in person I attend the local writers' coffee house meetings, which, as you said, mostly books, second Saturday. Um, this month it conflicts with Tuscon. Um, so this month's been canceled, but if you're interested in checking it out in December, there's a Facebook group you can be a part of, or you can simply show up. Um, and it's not a critique group, but rather a place for authors and artists to commiserate, share advice, cheer um, each other on, ask questions. And you can also come to Tuscon if you want to hang out with other writers next weekend. That's true. So between writing and editing, sketching and coloring, getting feedback and letting projects sit, most creative work can't be completed in one day, which means the team can weasel its way into the process. Do you work on one project at a time for laser focus, or do you bounce between projects to keep things interesting? Any tips for keeping fatigue at bay? Again, I want to go first because I think your answer will probably be better than mine. Uh, so Says I. Says the man who takes the universe <laughs> for his writing every day. So, um, so as I mentioned, I'm writing short fiction, and I'm revising this one novel with this fictitious science guy. And I have been writing and revising this novel since like 2013, because I'm so used to writing short fiction, where the payoff is much more immediate and compressed, and you can't necessarily finish a story in a day, but you can finish a story in a week, or you know, two weeks, or three. Um, I wrote a novella once, I think, that maybe took me about four or five months, and that has been the longest thing that I have ever, that I have ever had published. Um, but I would be very interested in the, the panelists' answers for how to avoid fatigue with writing novels because I'm a short story author first and a novelist second, and uh, I guess maybe the moral here is some of us, it takes a very long time to get the hang of it, so if you guys don't know, that's okay. <laughs> I do tend to write, used to tend to be a laser-focused writer. That is a little harder now, too. But for getting through a whole novel, mostly I keep reminding myself that the first few drafts can suck. I'm a very revising sort of writer, so the pressure is off on the first draft. And I just, it's really brute force, you know. I just keep writing and I don't force it to be good right away. That's probably the big thing I do to avoid fatigue, is I don't 
worry about quality and put all that kind of weight on myself until later drafts. Which is another benefit of NaNoWriMo. Yeah. The, the dump draft. I'm definitely a bouncer. I work on short stories one day a week and then my novel the other five days and poetry whenever I feel inspired. Having multiple projects going at once ensures that I'm never static, so even when I run up against a roadblock, I can easily switch over and it allows me to alternate between the right brain and the left brain side of things, between writing and editing. And I like that balance. Very loud microphone. <laughs> Rewards can also be highly motivating. Be they food, socialization, money, relaxation, TV time, etc. What rewards do you give yourself for your work and in what increments? We're supposed to get rewards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I actually, actually on that. I actually agree. Maybe you're just a pro and you're like, I got this. No, I think actually I think I don't do that often enough. And I think mm -hmm. that's actually a way of keeping fatigue at bay. One thing I do do is when I get to a stopping point between drafts or whichever, I'll take myself out to a movie. I actually enjoy the feeling of being in a movie theater all by myself, you know, with my own popcorn and watching the movie. So I'll take a day completely off to just unwind, and that is a treat. I don't think I do it as consistently as would benefit my writing, but it still feels good when I do it. So I've tried to implement this system before of rewarding myself whenever I get like a certain amount of creativity done. Um, but I find that it doesn't work for me at all because it feels like when I don't finish a part of a task during a, a time limit that I had expected to or hoped to, and I don't get to have the reward, the lack of reward feels like a punishment and then it just makes me more depressed and then like I don't, I don't work towards the goal. Um, I feel like it should work, like I should be able to reward myself, but then um, then I just feel bad. So strangely, not hinging any kind of reward to my to my creative behavior works much better for me because then I'm then I'm contented with what's actually in front of me. Then I'm not then I don't feel like I'm working towards something artificial that I'm like dangling over my own head and I'm just worried about the piece that's on my desk. Okay. And I'm the complete opposite. I have micro goals and I have macro goals um, and rewards to help me along the process. So I use Jonathan Mayberry's system of putting a dollar in a jar for every day that I meet my goal. Um, the idea is that you treat writing as your job and so you're paying yourself for your work. And um, you can only spend the money on something fun once you finish your first draft. And um, he also says that if you miss your goal one day, you're supposed to take out $7, but I find that too demoralizing for my work progress. <laughs> so I ignore that part. Don't tell him about it then. Um, I, use, I just use Monopoly money and I stick it in the tub. Um, I also keep track of my overall weekly output, and if I meet that, then I get a smiley face sticker in my agenda. You'd be surprised how effective a smiley face sticker can actually be. Um, and for every 5,000 words I write in my novel, I get a piece of fancy Giordelli chocolate. And for every 10,000, my wonderful boyfriend makes me a cake. What? And yes, <laughs> yes, my favorite food group, he makes me a cake. Maybe that's why my role is You need to get on that. God, I guess. Yeah. And I also reward myself for rejections. So the idea is um, I get a rejection on a, a poem or a short story or um, from, from my agent. She says, oh, an editor passed me an all kind of thing, and I give myself a reward then too. And the idea is that you're not rewarding yourself for failure, you're rewarding yourself for trying. So you wouldn't have gotten that rejection had you not tried, had you not submitted, but you could also get an acceptance letter. So I, I reward myself for both my successes and my failures. And um, I, I also save, if I work 40, more than 40 hours a week, I also save those hours as like bonus days off. So like, for example, I, I'll be able to take my birthday off later if I, if I have that. I have a multitude of motivational, but motivational so intricate and fascinating. It is, yeah. yeah. It would just collapse around me. <laughs> so another hindrance that can come about in the creative process is the shift in the feeling that something that used to be fun is now a chore or an obligation. Have you found ways to gamify your work or trick your mind? Well, what I found I had to do is because it did, you know, writing at one point was a hobby and an escape. And then at some point, it became a job. And what I realized the solution for me was I needed new hobbies. So I've been kind of a serial hobbyist doing other things that there's no pressure on. You know, my writing, there's a lot of pressure to make it as good as I possibly can and to get it out there and to sell it. 
no one cares if when I take up book binding or fencing or horseback riding, you know, if I do a good or a bad job. You know, that's purely for me, purely in the hobby realm. When I was doing book binding, you know, people would say, oh, you could, you know, you could, you know, you could sell those. And I consciously made the decision, I'm already selling my writing. This is a hobby. I volunteered at the Wildlife Center at one point, which was a really nice balance, actually. You know, feeding hawks and feeding cages and all of that. But I've always tried to have something outside of writing in my life with less pressure on it. And also something to just remind me, again, that my writing isn't my whole self, that I have other things going on too. Which is also easier once you have a child. Doing things besides writing is no longer a challenge. <laughs> Um, I, I use that strategy too. Uh, that's, that's very close to what I would answer as having other hobbies. Uh, the stuff that I mentioned, like hiking, swimming, or work skating, those are those are never things that I can sell. There's literally things that I can do, so I don't I don't feel any pressure in that direction. Um, another thing that helps me is limiting the time that I write. If it becomes a grind, if it becomes a chore, sometimes uh, you know the only way out is through, and you do have to plug away at it. But you don't have to torture yourself and go, I have to write as much as I ordinarily do every day. You can go, okay, well it's hard right now. If you normally write for an hour and a half. Maybe limit yourself to an hour or limit yourself to 45 minutes. And then while you sit in front of their moaning and flaming, going, oh, I hate the story so hard. That means that you're exposed to it less and you're not you're not teaching yourself to hate what's in front of you. So I have found that helpful. It does remind me the other thing I did, especially when I was writing all day with nothing else going on, is I forced myself to have a day that I took off. For me, it was Saturday. I figured, okay, I'm Jewish, so stay here. I'm not going to write on Saturdays. But having some time that's explicitly not writing time was very beneficial for me. The novel I'm currently writing is going so slowly. Uh, I can write one to 3,000 words on a Monday in a short story, and then come Tuesday, I have so much research for this novel that I'm drowning in it, and I'm lucky if I write like 300 words. So a trick I learned from Marie Brennan, who learned it from you, Holly, is to tell myself that I'm only writing 100 words three times and you would not believe how effective that is. And, and I often surpass it and write closer to 500 words. So it's, it's a trick that I'm aware of, and yet somehow it still is effective. Um, I've also started counting reading time as work. It's hard for me to prioritize reading, and it's something that I often say at the end of the day, and then other things generally take up that time. Um, it, it leads into it, and I'm lucky if I reach 30 minutes before bed. But um, Stephen King, in his book on writing, says, if you don't have time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. Simple as that. Reading is the creative center of a writer's life. And that's helped um, to allay the guilt that I feel for not writing as much or finishing projects at the pace that I believe I should be. Um, and also, uh, reading is fun for me. Reading is building my toolbox. I'm seeing what's out on the market, so um, what I'm trying to sell is comparable or can fit into the market. I'm analyzing character development and plot and chapter length, and I'm catching typos on the page that might break things up. So I think reading is really important to grow yourself as a writer. Um, and yeah, you can also use it as a tool, like if you're at the stage where you're querying agents, you can look at the back of a book. The acknowledgement sections often they'll um, acknowledge their agent. You can also see what kind of editors are picking up your, your genre, um, editors and imprints and that kind of thing. So you can use the book as a comp title of your query. So there are numerous reasons why I think reading is really important for writers. Okay, so we're getting down to the time where I want to open up the floor for questions. We do have some more here if you guys don't have any, but I want to make sure that you guys get your say. So do you guys have any questions about balancing creative work and busy life? I see someone is really eager. Go for it. Go for it, Hurley. <laughs> um. <clears throat> As a guy who has a thousand ideas and zero productivity, how exactly do you brute force your way to getting something done? Doing the one B, you know, I'm going to write one sentence today can help with that. Um, Daniel and Winter likes to talk about butt in chair. Yes. You just, you know, you can brute force putting your butt in the chair, although that doesn't necessarily with everything else but I think for like starting with smaller goals can help when I first started writing if I had thought about I'm gonna finish a novel that was a terrifying thought and then someone said to me what do I have to pay today you have a draft in a year 
I thought, okay, you know, that I can do. But maybe you guys have other suggestions. Uh, well, if part of the issue is deciding which idea to do, of like picking which one, what, which one you have, uh, something that helps me a lot is just writing down a sentence or so of all of the story ideas that I have. And even though I can't turn myself into a thousand people and write each of those simultaneously, knowing that I have captured them somewhere and come back to them later helps with that feeling of anxiety, knowing that, oh, I can't always come back to this idea. And if you keep doing this, then over time, uh, you will discover that some of your story ideas are still great, and yes, you should go back to them, um, and some of them are deeply stupid, and what were you even thinking? And some of them, somebody professional has already done even better than that, and you know they already sold three million copies of that, so maybe it's not worth you doing that. Um, so I now have pages and pages and pages and pages of story ideas, and when I come to a point where I go, well, I want to write something and I don't know what, I can, I can take that and I can pick something from the list and then going through, I can go, oh, I don't like this idea anymore, I don't know what I was thinking here, but this one I wrote down 10 years ago and it's still awesome, so I'm going to go ahead and complete that. Um, and uh, while, while when I die, probably yes, I will have far more story ideas uh, in the folder that I wanted to write that I was unable to, um, at least at the end of my life, I will have written a few hundred stories, which is certainly better than no stories. So, do what you, do you my can. Phone, I have Evernote on my phone, and I just have a folder that's all notes about different story ideas. I'm also a fan of the Pomodoro technique. The idea is that um, you set a timer for 25 minutes, and then you take a break for five minutes. 25-5, and you do that for two hours, and it should take 15 to 25 minutes break. And so, Sometimes when I find it hard to get started in the morning, just the idea that I'm only gonna sit here for 25 minutes and then I can go do the dishes or I can go to the grocery store, whatever is, is weighing on my mind is enough to just get me in there. And often when my timer goes up, I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of thought. So then I set a stopwatch on my iPod and then I end up working for an hour and a half kind of thing before I need a break. And that's usually just like bathroom break, get into a different drink and go back to, to my desk. So telling myself, no wait for 25 minutes has been very effective for me. So I like the Commodore technique. Any other questions? Yes. So you were talking about like you're just kind of overwhelmed with <coughs> research and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the big problem that I have is somewhere in my mind, I'll run up right to some point where I have to research something. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I can't get past that until I go research that and then figure out the exact way it should be in sure. horrible drafts. Like I, I try to work through drafts at the same time mm -hmm. as I try to write it. How do you get past that into like how do you do your research and just make make notes and just don't write that section because you don't know how it's supposed to be or does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I put things in and not everyone can write, not knowing everything, since I'm a fan of very messy rough drafts. I usually just put a note that says find out how this works. As long as it's not something similar to the entire story, I try to make myself go back and research it later. I find that every novel is, for me is different. So sometimes I can be writing a story and I'm put something in brackets like food, clothing, and then just kind of get writing. But when it's integral to your plot and you can't forward the scene, um, then then I will take time to research it. And if it's something that is more intensive, like for this novel right now, because I'm so overwhelmed with research, I alternate my days. So I will spend an entire day researching, and then the next day I will demand work count output. And then I spend time researching, and then I demand and that gives me um, the permission that I need to do those Wikipedia black holes, the deep internet dives, and um, then I feel like I'm not wasting time writing a scene that I'm gonna end up chucking because I didn't sit down and do the research to start. And I'm also very organized with my research and with my documents, so I color code everything. So in Microsoft Word, I use highlighting text. For when it comes to a physical research book, I have sticky notes that have Color, color tabs that, that correspond to each act of my book, which corresponds to the highlighting, which corresponds to the pens and the highlighters that I have, and the markers, and everything feeds into it. So if I'm writing in one section, I can easily be like, oh, what's in this book? Here's the green, I need all the green sticky tabs, and then I open it up. So it makes the research process go quicker, and so that I'm not spending too much, as, as much time in it, so that I can get back to the writing faster. 
AJ? Um, another option is to just go ahead and do it wrong in the rough draft. Uh, so that is that is something that I wound up doing with the book that I'm revising now. So I, I mentioned that it's, it's been taking me a very long time to work on it. I think I started in 2013 or something. Um, but it has only been a, about a year or a year and a half that I've spent revising it, and I'm quite close to finishing the revision. For me, the difficult part is drafting. And it's much easier for me to write something that I know is wrong into the first draft and then fix it later than stop everything in research. Now that I'm now that I'm doing the revision, which I like more, I'm realizing how much stuff there is to research. And if I had known how much there was to research before I started writing it, I never would have written this book. So um, I know myself well enough to know it's better to just barrel through and get something out and then fix it later. Um, if you're the sort of person for whom writing the rough draft is also harder than revising on the back end, that might be something useful that will work for you. That scares me. Like, I was like, like, what if I, like, I'm in my second chapter, and then, because I didn't research something, I, my plot goes this way, and then I come back to research that, and it's like, shoot, none of that is factually accurate or even feasible, yeah, and now I'm like, what do I do with the rest of this novel that I wrote? Well, you <laughs> might need to be confident. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. No. I will spend weeks in research to avoid that. The most extreme case of my putting off the research, I have a novel, Thiefies, that's set in Iceland. And I had visited a while back when I wrote it, that had been a while ago. I wrote the whole first draft, then I went to Iceland again and got all the details I needed and then completely and utterly rewrote it. See, so this is why we do panels, because there's a myriad of experiences and you can, you can pick and choose what resonates with you. And if something isn't working for you, then you can try something else. So yeah, we're, we're not experts on this. We just know what works for us. And like I said, our process for, well, I'll speak for myself. My process for each book has changed. There is not one way that even I function. So it's constant discovery. Yeah, there's no one true way. All right, any other questions? Let's see if there's anyone new. No, all right, you again. Go for it, what would you like to ask? So, <clears throat> uh, between work and school, full-time, both cases, uh, I end up with a lot of mental fatigue. Like, I, I can't really do anything outside of work, and then I have to do some weird rituals to get through school. How do you guys handle mental fatigue, just being kind of bleh in the brain? Um, I find uh, that exercise helps me a lot. Um, I like to I like to exercise in the middle of the day rather than at the beginning, um, which I guess most hardcore fitness people do. But I find that having that break in the middle um, resets me and sort of energizes me and helps me have that energy for later. Um, I'm also not sure how applicable this would be uh, to your situation, uh, but when I started out in the career that I did, I made sure to pick something that I know would leave me with a little bit of energy left over to be able to write. Um, so, you know, it's much easier said than done to go, ah, well, just change your career so you're less tired. Like, that, it's probably not an option for most people. Um, but you could, uh, I also don't know if this would work for you, but maybe if you change the time of day at which you did homework or school or something like that, it could help you. Um, if you, if you gave yourself breaks between these things, if you said, okay, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to work and then slam in creative stuff and then slam in night classes and then spend the last like two hours of the day unwinding because that means that very last day night classes you don't have anything left for. Maybe, uh, maybe you rearrange things so you have an hour or a half an hour break between everything before you take on the next thing. Um, I find that that, that that has helped me. And trial and error to find out what works for you. But it's hard, I mean it's hard. There's no like easy answer to dealing with being exhausted by life and still wanting to create. I also agree with exercising in the middle of the day. Often when I feel that, that lull and I want to go take a nap, I go for a half hour walk and I find that very energizing. So moving my body, my lungs, the fresh air, um, seeing trees, that kind of thing. I don't know if I think about my story, or I just say I try not to think about my story while I'm, while I'm going. Um, and I also, I protect my Sundays. Sundays are my day off. So anything, well, except, okay, Tucson Festival of Books, that's the one thing that can infringe on my Sundays. Um, otherwise, I, I protect them for church and family and chores and relaxation and socialization, uh, just to make sure that I have that time to recharge. All 
We have two minutes. Anybody have a two minute question? Or I have another question here as a backup. Back there. All right, yes. Why did you all choose writing as your outlet for your creativity? God help me, I don't know. <laughs> because I couldn't draw and I couldn't act and I had stories to tell. Um, I'm obsessive reader since I was a little kid. Um, so it was a natural transition for me to then take up writing. But I also have other creative outlets that, that don't deal with writing, like she was talking about um, not expecting to analyze or be professional or be good at something. So like I do dancing, that's, that's really important to me. I knit, I do artwork, that kind of thing. So I have other creative outlets that aren't my job. So I find that that's a helpful balance. We, okay, one forty nine. We should thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as. D&D Journey of the 5th Edition, and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Eric. And Wendy Strzok with Stone Valley Hobby and Games. We sell board games, card games, role-playing games, and supplies. We have thousands of Magic the Gathering cards available, carry Kickstarter products, and work with veteran-owned small businesses to bring you our own line of products. We are a small business retailer, but we offer competitive prices, a loyalty system, and free shipping on orders over $100. As a military veteran myself, I'm a strong supporter of our armed forces, their families, and contractors out there doing the hard job. So any order from an AA, AE, or EP address will be shipped absolutely free. Remember, StoneValleyGames.com, where we take your leisure seriously.